morning, everybody. Let me expand a little bit on the announcement that Tanner gave about a membership class. Um, we're planning to hold it the 29th of this month, Wednesday night. Now, it'll be in here. I teach my normal Wednesday night class on um, Wednesday nights. That's pretty... I had something smart I could say about the vice president, but I won't. Um, anyway, we'll just take a break for that night, and we'll have a membership class. I'm not discouraging. I don't want to discourage the, those who are already members. Um, well, stay home because it's just a membership class. Um, it'll be dynamic and exciting. So uh, anyway... But that has us already here on Wednesday night. Anybody who needs child care, we normally hold membership on Sunday. And we've got to get pizza and we, we have to feed people and we've got to hire high school kids to watch, uh, to babysit. Wednesday night, we can get through it in, uh, easily in an hour. And all the child care and all the activities are already here. So that's taken care of. So we thought we'd try that. Um, so that'll be the 29th of this month, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. <clears throat> Let's turn again to the same passage that we looked at last week, very familiar um, verse, John 3.16. and 17, and then we'll look at several other scriptures in the book of John. 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, and let me just give you the literal translation, whoever is continually believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Last week we looked at the sober doctrine of what does Jesus mean that we would not perish. Today we want to look at the pleasant doctrine. Should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. Now, I think there's a little bit of explanation that needs to be made here before we look at what Jesus meant, what the Bible means by eternal life. Eternal life and immortality are not the same. Everyone has immortality from creation. The wicked and the righteous alike. That's part of the divine image of God in us. In his image and likeness, he made us. All right? What does that mean? 
several things. One, 1 Timothy 6, 16 says of God, to him only belongs immortality. Okay? So technically, um, immortality really only directly applies to God. However, God gives to us and gave to us in creation in the likeness of God, immortality. In addition to immortality, of course, he gave us reason, emotions, and volition, the power to choose. Immortality, again, then, to live with no end, by the way, technically, immortality regarding God is he had no beginning and he has no end. You and I, as immortal beings, we use that same word. But when God made Adam and Eve and then every subsequent life that is born into this world has a beginning but no ending. That is, our spirit lives forever. Now, that is true of all human beings. Again, righteous or not, live forever. There is such a thing, I don't need to get too much into it, but the doctrine of immortality is an important doctrine. It's the basis of the next life. It's the assumption that God's implanted into the human heart. That there's something beyond this life. It's, it is innate. And Job asked a question. If a man dies... Will he live again? Yes. In fact, he never spiritually, as a spirit, I don't mean where I'm heading here in a minute. My body will die, but my spirit lives on. So we are immortal. Now, as immortal spirits, we will live after we physically die and we will live either as Jesus described in John 3.16 in a perishing state separated from God or we live with God. Now God almost all through scripture primarily the New Testament the word eternal life phrase, or everlasting life, always applies to the righteous living, our spirits living on after we lay aside this body. We immediately are ushered into the presence of God to the thief. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. 
Just as a side note, we know that the thief had some faith. He said, called him Lord, and he said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. What? What a faith. A man dying for a crime put his faith in Jesus in the final, to some degree, moments of his life, and Jesus gave him the assurance, the witness of the Spirit, that he's a child of God, because he said, you'll be with me. You'll be with me in paradise. What a contrast to think of paradise as the poor soul was, and we don't need to get off into the goriness of crucifixion. What a contrast. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, immortality then, we all share that because we're creating the image and likeness of God. Eternal life or everlasting life that is also spoken of here in John 3.16, you'll have everlasting life. Here's what we need to understand about everlasting life or eternal life. It is not a quantity or an extent of life. It is a quality of life. Immortality we have whether we're righteous or not. That is a quantity. It starts at birth, in the case of Adam and Eve, at creation, and it never ends. Eternal life is different than immortality in that it is a kind of life, a quality of life. Now, Adam and Eve had both immortality, because we were made in the image and likeness of God, but because they had a righteous relationship with God, they also had everlasting life. Anybody, <clears throat> anybody get this so far? They forfeited everlasting life when they ate from the tree. That's why God said you're going to die. Both physically, but spiritually, they died in that moment. But they didn't cease to exist. We, as humans, made in the image and likeness of God, and apparently, the angels will never cease to exist. We will just, beyond the grave and the dissolving of this body, we will live in a condition, a state, a quality of life that totally depends on my relationship with God. We know from creation and the fall, then, that eternal life, everlasting life, and, and here both of these, it can be forfeited. But what did God do with Adam and Eve? 
the day, the morning, or whatever, when they disobeyed him and spiritually died, immediately God came to them. Those that had just were fresh off of their rebellion, he came to them. He hunted them. He called for them. He sought them. And not just notice the two purposes. When he sought them, his first question was, where are you? He knew where they were, but they had to tell him. Where are you and what would you do? But that wasn't the only reason he came. They, they had to acknowledge, and so did he, you guys are in trouble. But then, same chapter, he says, let me give you a true covering for your nakedness, your shame of sin. Not the flimsy fig leaves you guys have tried to hook together that won't work. He gave them animal skins. We have to have a covering that he gives us. And in that case, giving them animal skins showed the temporary sacrificial system that an, a lamb, an animal perished rather than me so that I could live. But also, as he provided them a proper covering, one that he provided, self-made you know, homespun um, coverings don't work. God gave them the covering. He has to provide it. But in that same conversation, he said, basically, it's the first prophecy of Jesus. One is coming, Satan. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll smash your head. And this, the death of the animals temporarily covering their sin foretold Jesus' sacrifice. And in his sacrifice and resurrection, he would destroy the works, the kingdom of the devil, and have, as Revelation tells us, the keys to death and hell. Jesus, in that figurative statement, utterly wrecked the kingdom of Satan. Satan's kingdom then today is fake. Now, it's real in the sense that he wreaks havoc in hearts and lives and homes. But that's only because he has deceived people to think that he has the real power, that he is the ruler, and he's not. He doesn't even have the deed to his own house. He doesn't even have the keys. I put a couple of new doorknobs in at the house the other day. And went and got them keyed to the same, you know, so the one key fits them all. And then 
you know, I hide the key where I know where it's at and try to remind the people in my household where it is if they need it. I got the keys, though. The symbolism of Jesus. <laughs> the devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house. So he's a total deceiver when he tells us, you follow me, I got it. I'm in charge. I'm the ruler. I'm telling you the truth. No, he's not. Now, in then the event of the fall where Adam and Eve forfeited everlasting life, which is a quality of life based on a relationship with God, in that very conversation, Jesus restored them. He gave it back to them. And gave them, to some degree, we're not certain how much, the sacrificial system. By the time Abel and Cain came along, they knew all the details of a sacrificial system. And that's what got Cain in trouble. Cain brought a thanksgiving offering, but he leapfrogged over a blood offering, which Abel brought. A blood offering means I deal with sin and separation first, and then I offer the fruits of the ground in thanksgiving. Cain just ignored the sin issue, and he, would, he just buddied up to God. You ever had anybody in your life, and I'm sure there'd be virtually all of us, somebody who can just, you know, hurt your feelings, maybe slander you, be harsh to you, and then the next time you see them, they just act like nothing ever happened. I don't suppose in the multiplied thousands of people maybe hundreds of thousands of people that are listening to this today. Anybody will know who I'm talking about. But I remember a, a man in one of my father's churches, and he would, he would periodically show up at the board meeting of which he was a member in some sort of a, got up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, and he would just tear into everything my dad was doing. He wasn't preaching right, and he didn't do this right, and the suck of this, and ah, rah, rah. and of course he knew all things, and never a word of apology, never a mention of it, nothing. For two, three days, maybe a week, and then he just kind of jauntily. <laughs> Swing by the office. Reverend Morgan, let's go for Baskin Robbins. What do you say? Ha ha ha. Never, ever a word. That's Cain. That's Cain. He acknowledged there was a God. He acknowledged, sort of, that he needed to be thankful to him. He at least pretended that God was the source of all the good that he had, and so he brings him the fruits of the field. But he doesn't deal with his own rebellion. So there's a whole lot of canes running around 
this world. Abel, the scripture says, though he's dead physically, he still speaks. His life was one of eternal life. Now, immortality then, we all have, and we will retain it. Everlasting life is a gift from God on repentance and faith and walking with God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he said, I came that you might not perish, but that by believing you'll have everlasting life. Now, just to give you some scriptural proof here, Jesus clears up any questions we might have. In John 17, the prayer, high priestly prayer, when he prayed for the disciples, in John 17, 3, this is a very, very important verse. Jesus defines what eternal life means. And here's where we get the teaching that eternal life is a quality of life, not quantity. And this is eternal life. That they, Jesus is speaking to the Father about the disciples. This is eternal life. Well, let me read two. <clears throat> As you have given him, that's himself, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. He defines it. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's the only place in Scripture as clear as that, Jesus himself defines eternal life, that they may know him, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he, the Father, has sent into the world. The word know, that's eternal life, that I fellowship with, I trust in, I follow, I love, I obey. Eternal life then, isn't the same thing as immortality. It is a quality of life based on a relationship with Jesus. Now, just like Adam and Eve were created with both immortality and eternal life, forfeited eternal life, but had it restored, we come into the world needing a conversion experience where not that makes us immortal, we already are, but gives us eternal life. I know God. And we speak, we speak all the time in those terms, the word know. Someone called yesterday or the day before asking for the pastors to pray for a loved one. And the question we, 
an elderly parent or fairly elderly parent and the question put to her was does your dad know the Lord that's common in our language it's right what is eternal life I know God how do I know God I have faith, according to Hebrews, that he is, he exists. Remember he said, without faith it's not possible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must acknowledge, must believe that he is. And we believe something about his character. That he is a rewarder of everyone who will diligently seek him. He's findable. <laughs> he is, heaven's open to us. God's arms are open to us. And I believe that. Taking him at his word, I'm born again. And I have eternal life, everlasting life. A quality of life. I have to nurture that. Maintain it. By continued faith, obedience, learning, experiencing, deepening my roots with God, living off His nourishment to my soul, which is Scripture. We walk with God. That's another great term. Walk with God. That preserves eternal life. Now, Eternal life, then, means a number of things. It is both now and yet to be. Okay? I have eternal life. You have eternal life. Every one of us have everlasting life in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, indwelling of my heart. Christ lives in our hearts. He gives us, then, a foretaste of everlasting life. Joy, peace, comfort, strength, guidance, help, all that he gives us is a foretaste of heaven which is both immortal and everlasting. And we're told in 1 Corinthians, we, we need to remember this as the hope of heaven. It has not entered, the scripture says, it's not entered into our minds nor our imaginations what he has prepared for those who love him. So, the, the joy and the peace and the comfort and the presence of God in our hearts that enables us to navigate this bad world and find comfort, find strength, find encouragement as we look at the darkness, we look at the sin coming in like a flood 
there's always a however, a but God. That phrase, but God. But God. Yeah, I, I, I hate what I see going on in our country, in the world, and the rapid disintegration of godliness and goodness and truth. But God, God hasn't gone anywhere. He's not resigned. He's not in the cabin in the big horns taking some time off. And we think often, we think of all of the capitals of the kingdoms and the nations of this world. We look at Washington, D.C. and We look at the, the busyness, all of the communication. We think, what a center of power. It's nothing compared to the throne room of God. Because it says, the scripture everywhere says, he rules over all the nations. He's God. He beholds, it says, all the sons of men. From his vantage point, he sees every soul. He sees every thought. Seven billion and counting people he knows. A, I know that this is a simple little statement that Jesus made, but he, he meant it to be profound. He said, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without my father. Then he went on. We need to finish the verse. Be of good cheer. You are worth many sparrows. Knows. He comforts us then with a little foretaste of what the next world will be heaven, eternal life. He said, This, you will, I'll welcome you in. And by the way, <clears throat> It's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the great Trinity that will say to us, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's not St. Peter. It's God himself. He doesn't delegate even some top echelon angel. He's the one that welcomes us and says, I'll wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, no temptation, no wickedness, said there'll be no evil thing there and we don't even need the sun 
We don't need Zud. He said, I'm the light. And I was thinking about this too. You know, a lot of people are kind of hesitant at times. Eh, I get tired of going to church and church. Listen, do you realize that all of heaven is really, it's described as a temple? It's nothing but a massive church. I'd suggest we get used to going to it here. If I have a problem with it, I won't like it up there. So we can't even grasp, and God already told us this in 1 Corinthians. I can't, he says, it hasn't even entered into our imagination what he's prepared for those who love him. So no matter how good, comforting, blessing, so forth, it is to have Jesus in our hearts today and, and know him. Heaven is so far beyond what we experience here, even with God in our hearts and God's word, his spirit guiding us and leading us and helping us and warning us. All of that is so far outdone by heaven that we can't even imagine it. That's a major statement that no matter what I can imagine, and look what he has at least told us that we think we can get a hold of, the streets are all of gold. The 12 gates to the city are all one pearl. And I can't pronounce a lot of the, there's 12 foundations of the city, New Jerusalem, and there are all these different 12 precious stones that are massive cornerstones to the city. All, what, here's, here, here's the situation God's got. He's infinite, but he's got to try to, let's put it this way, <clears throat> he has to talk our language first to then bring us to where we can sort of understand his language. So he has to stoop down to our level. He probably knows about some something, some kind of mineral, some kind that's greater than gold. I don't know what it is. But what does he do? He picks what we know, what he knows we think is most valuable. He says, okay, the streets are going to be all gold. Think about that. There's no potholes. Streets are gold. We can't comprehend it. And it's even greater than that. That's everlasting life. For those who love him. Now, when you think of that, then I thought this morning of the simple statement that Jesus made. 
What shall it profit us if we gain the whole world but we lose our soul? We miss that for some something that is worthless compared to that here. And I read this morning too the rich young ruler running to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. Well, I have. Let everything go for my sake and come and follow me. And he left. He turned and he walked away. Because it said he had great riches. I, I don't know how to get a hold of the littleness of what that man had in comparison to what he could have had, and he traded it away. He viewed this and said, well, I can't let go of this. Let's don't do that. Does it make sense then why, <clears throat> on the other hand, Paul said, once he had seen in his heart the glory of God, the kindness of Christ, the atonement, all God's done for us, and everlasting life, he said, I count everything I've gained but dross, refuse, literally, garbage. I count it just garbage. All I've gained in my life, my learning, my fact, he said, I'm a tribe of Benjamin. I lived according to the law. I profited, he said, more than all of my equals, probably both financially and in authority and position and power and name recognition. Paul said, I profited beyond all my fellow Jews. Member of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, he said, I counted all nothing that I might gain that. What an unspeakable blessing to gain that. And this is a little bit of in here, heaven, to go to heaven in. And also, how unspeakable that we would miss that. There's nothing in this world worth missing that for. That's everlasting life. God help us both know that we have it, maintain it. Let me close with this verse. <clears throat> in John 10, Jesus speaking, that's the good shepherd discourse. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, my, th this is literal. My sheep are knowing me. My sheep are hearing my voice. My sheep are following me. And I am giving them eternal life. There's our divine human cooperation. 
If I'm going to be one of his sheep, there's qualifiers. I, I know who he is. I hear the voice of my shepherd. I listen to it, and I follow him. And he is giving, not gave as a one-time, but he is continually giving me eternal life. And a brighter Proverbs, I said I was going to quote, that was the last verse. Let me give you one more. Proverbs says, pathway of the righteous ever leads upward to life and to light and grows brighter every day. Well, I got to quit. Let's lay hold. That's one more verse. That's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Nothing's as valuable as that. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> and Dan, if you'll dismiss us with prayer. Father in heaven, as we heard that message this morning from your word, I'm, I was struck. What an encouraging word that is to those who know you. But what a fearful word for those that don't. It amazes me also, Lord, that you simply give us, as our pastor taught us this morning, the choice. You leave it up to, up to us to choose whether we choose to walk with you or to walk away from you, whether we choose to call upon your name and receive the gift that was given through eternal life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or to reject it or to just sit here undecided, not really knowing what to do because we're too stubborn to make that surrender of our own lives. So in the quietness of this sanctuary, Lord, I know as each and every Sunday you're at work. Let's pray, Lord, as we sit here this morning and we look over our shoulder at this last week. What choices did we make? Did we make choices that would honor you and glorify you in our decisions as we walked on this side of heaven? Or do we make choices just flippantly and without concern? of our Savior. Lord, help us. I know you give us the choice, but I also know you enable us by your grace to live in a way that we can hang on and hold on to that eternal life that you offer. So no matter where we're sitting at this morning, Lord, I just pray as always that we be obedient to your voice as we just heard our pastor teach us. We know you, we hear you, and help us to follow you by your grace and to your glory as we get up and go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.